You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast, Welcome Home. The Father's heart is for you and waiting with open arms. Join us today as we jump into a message from our series, There's No Place Like Home. We are addressing the question, what is home? You don't have to click your heels, just step inside. There's a seat for you. So get ready. God is on the move. How many love Jesus today? You love Jesus? Uh, if you don't already know, my name is Nate, and I'm so excited about everything that's happening in Emmanuel. Last weekend, across all of our locations, Lakeville, Elk River, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and those online, we saw 169 people give their lives to Jesus. 169. That's powerful. And, uh, and God's on the move. He's, he's speaking to people. And if this is your first week back... Hey, welcome home. Thanks for coming back to church. On top of that, across all of our locations, as we kind of jumped in with generous hearts, we said we want to take care of people around the world and feeding people. $55,000 came in across all of our locations just to touch and feed. Man, I, when I think about people and I think about the story of what God is doing in our hearts, it's really, really powerful. And today, we get to start and step into a brand new series called There's No Place Like Home. There's No Place Like Home. And uh, before I get into my, my message today, I just want to challenge you to do a couple of things over the next few weeks. The first one is this. Over the, sometime in the next few weeks, I want to challenge you, double dog dare you, to invite somebody over for dinner. Now, like, I didn't get a cheer. I didn't get, this is Minnesota, right? We don't invite people over. But I just want to double dog dare you to do it at some point. And uh, maybe it's just during the week and you want to just, you want to say to somebody that you meet in church, hey, let's go to lunch after, afterwards and you want to go to a restaurant, that's fine. But I want to push you a little bit to think about being hospitable and consider uh, being connecting with others and inviting them into your world. Uh, and then another thing is in two weeks is Mother's Day. And so let's get ready for Mother's Day. Let's be prepared. Put it on your calendar right now, guys, who usually wait to go get your stuff on Saturday night from Walmart and Target or wherever you go, lining up and all the cards are gone. Be prepared. Be ready. What are you going to do on Sunday afternoon after church? We're going to have, of course, our photo booths and opportunity to take pictures and that kind of thing on each of our locations, but just want you to be prepared for that. And then in three weeks, every one of our locations is going to have breakfast of some type, and uh, just be looking for that. We're going to have, make it a, you're going to smell the syrup on Sunday morning. It's just going to be a lot of fun. All right, let me go right into today's message as we get started. There's no place like home. What does the word home mean to you? I mean... It might be safety, hope. It might, you might think of food. You might think of a bed to sleep in. Uh, it could be a, a house that you call home. Um, you know, that house for me growing up, we lived in a lot of different houses growing up, over 20 houses uh, growing up for me. And we lived in apartments. We lived in duplexes. We lived in, in rental housing. We lived in a lot of different places and uh, moved around. Uh, but for us, uh, home was wherever my mom and dad, my sister, and my brother were. That was home, including a point in my life. I think I was in middle school when we were, had to live with another family for six months. So it wasn't our house, but we lived somewhere else. But it was home because my family was there. 
So for me, and maybe for some of you, home is a positive thing. And you think in terms of uh, it's home because that's where your family was. You can run home after school. You get to new places and, and, and it's okay because family members are there. And it's a place where we get to know each other. Many people consider church to be a type of home where you feel a safety, a familiarity with people and the church family. And there's a realization that you've met God in church. And so for some, that's that way. At the same time, the word home doesn't evoke fond feelings from everyone. In fact, I've known many people who cringe when they think of the word home. Their experience was full of pain and disappointment. And for some, it wasn't a safe place. There was neglect or abuse from a family member or from somebody around you. And others were moved around from house to house, family to family, never able to live anywhere for long. And COVID's kind of blown the whole thing up in the last couple of years, what home means, is people were locked in to one space. It accelerated a whole lot of the bad things. People that went through abuse now were confined and they couldn't reach out for help. It wasn't shelter in a safe place. For others, it was marriages that weren't doing so well before COVID really accelerated problems throughout COVID. Divorces gone skyrocketed during this season. In modern times, the pain of family life has caused many intellectuals to completely abandon the historical definitions of what a home is, searching to redefine it in terms that they hope won't bring pain. So in reaction to all of the painful things, some are trying to get rid of home in family terms altogether. Some have also experienced pain in the church home, Leaders who misuse their places of authority or hurting people directly or indirectly. There are others who have grown up in families that went to church, but their family life at home didn't match the promises of the preaching. Sunday preaching didn't equal Monday practice. And if you find yourself as one who cringes when we say welcome home in church, we want this series to help you feel differently about the word home in your life. There is a different good picture that all of us can know. And we're going to look at Jesus' invitation for everyone to come home, to experience what God says is possible for us. For in fact, Jesus is saying to all of humanity, welcome home. Turn to the person next to you and say, welcome home. Now we see Jesus, he commonly is alongside an interaction with broken people. People that have all kinds of pasts and dysfunctional pasts and people that were in a ruling class that actually uh, others might have despised. And in Luke chapter 15, we're going to see that Jesus is bothering a group of people called the Pharisees. They are the rule keepers, the religious people. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus, and this is really important to catch in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people that included Pharisees and included normal common folk. And he begins to tell a story to address what's bothering them. And he gives three successive stories. He talks about the, the lost uh, son, or excuse me, the lost sheep, 
and the lost coin and then the lost son. Today, I'm only going to be able to look at the lost son story, but I want you to catch Jesus is telling a story. How many want to hear a story Jesus tells? Not just when your pastor tells, right? And I want you to pay attention to the characters in Jesus' story because those characters are actually people in his audience. He's speaking to his audience as if he was to say, which one are you in the story? And he tells his story in a way that he really is going to point the finger back at some of the people that are in the audience. So, so let's look at it. The three people Jesus highlights in his story, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. The first one is the younger son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve and he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So we see here that this son who grows up and there's how many brothers? Two brothers, right? The younger brother says, I want to peace out of here to his father. And on top of that, give me the credit card. He wants all the money and the father lets him go. So he wants to get out there because something wasn't in here. He felt like something was missing in the home, so he needed to chase it out there. Everybody said out there. Out there was different. There were different ideas about life and truth and lifestyle and purpose. Out there was different values than in his home. And out there, there were friends that saw the world differently than his dad saw the world and the father lets him go, and the son doesn't miss home until circumstances around him changed. It says there that there was a famine in the land. Notice the two things are going on. One, he runs out of money, and there's a famine in the land. There's a supply chain issue. There's a pandemic. Other things are going on while he's going through his stuff. And I want you to see in here that out there, it isn't better necessarily, but it takes going out there sometimes to wake up to what's going on in here. It's amazing how the events in life around us can change the way we see the world. The pandemic and world events are changing people's hearts. It says in there that, that the younger son, no one gave him anything. How many know it's cruel out there sometimes? They like you when you're paying the bill. They like you when you're doing drugs with them. They like you when you're not pointing out their sin. They like you when you do whatever they do. But as soon as you're done giving them anything, they're done with you. And so the soil of people's hearts begins to change. They're open to the truth of God's kingdom when nothing else is working. Can I tell you this last week? As I look at 
Easter and the number of people that gave their lives to Jesus and the guests that came in, I am so thankful that God is working in the soil of people's hearts. People were coming to church and they were brave. They took a step and they came to church. I'm so thankful for that. But they were open to the gospel in a way that they weren't two years ago. Why? Because there's a famine in the land and there's something going on on the inside. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself in verse 17, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. He wakes up. We don't know how long he took to decide to, to leave out there and come home. But there was a change in his attitude. And in order to even think about coming home, he had to overcome the fear and the shame of going back. So many people are afraid of coming back to church, wondering what people will think about them. Something inside of this son knows that he needs to go back. You see, if you think about this, he's out there. Home is over there. And while he's away, something inside of him begins to change. And he recognizes, I need to go home. And let me just tell you this. Feeling remorseful won't change your condition. Just feeling bad about being in the pig's sty isn't going to change where you are. You have to go somewhere. There's too many people that, that want to rehearse all their bad mistakes in their own head. Recognize they did wrong. But listen, your life won't change until you turn and go home. That's called repentance. So you, you could be away out there, but in order for a change to happen, you got to turn and go home. And for this young man, he is in the middle of circumstances that nobody wants to live in. As a kid, my, my dad loved to go out for rides on Sunday afternoons. And he would just take us out and we'd go through the rolling hills of Michigan and through small towns or rural communities. And it was really nice, just like it is in Minnesota in the fall and the change of the colors. But I can tell you this. I knew when we were approaching a farm that had pigs because you could smell it, right? So in the middle of what this young man is in, the younger son who's lost everything, there's also a smell to it. People don't want to be around that environment. You lose friendships, real friendships. And so he begins to say, you know what? I'm waking up. I need to go back. And something inside the son knows that the father won't turn him away. He says to himself, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. He's rehearsing what he's going to do. Why is he talking that out loud? Why is he going over that? You know why? Because there's so much anxiety and shame wrapped up in going home sometimes. I rejected the Father's love. I did my own thing. I went out there. And let me tell you this. There are people that come back to church. They came back to church last week. Perhaps came to church today. And they sit in the parking lot. 
contemplating whether or not to get out of the car and come inside. And they need to overcome a mountain of shame. It's not the father projecting the shame. It's actually shame we have in our own head. So he begins to come up with a narrative that he says over and over again to himself. I'll go back and this is what I'll say to my dad. This is what I'm going to say to the father. This is what I'm going to say. Because he knows somewhere inside, even though there are bad people, that there are people that have disappointed him, and that there are bad experiences, just like people coming back to church, even though there are people in the church that hurts you, even though there are people in your family that hurts you, something inside of you says, the Father will accept me back home. That's exactly what's going on inside of this younger son. And so he takes his first steps home. And let me just say this to you today. If you came back to church today, bravo, you made it. If you came back in the last few months, bravo, thank you. Thank you for overcoming those mountain of defenses and saying, I'm coming back, coming back. So he returned home to his father. The second character in the story that Jesus shares is the father, the father. Jesus emphasizes the father in his story. And I'm going to get there in a moment. We'll look at it. But I want you to notice Jesus is the one emphasizing the father. In our modern day of pain and confusion and dysfunction and definitions that are changing about family, many are trying to eliminate the word father from the vocabulary. It may not be popular but the human need for a father goes deep into our DNA. I was reading uh, this week. Uh, I was just actually reading through Twitter. And uh, one of the people I follow is Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy's former Super Bowl winning coach, a man of God, loves Jesus. Someday maybe he'll come here for Super Sunday or something, right? Anyways, he, he was uh, responding. There are a lot of critics to him because he's championing fathers. He's stepping up for them, and he's getting blasted in our culture about that. So he quotes some data from uh, President Obama and his statements about fatherhood. And in the data that President Obama said, he, he uh, illustrated, children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. So this is what President Obama said. This is just the data. So while all of society is trying to remove fathers, the reality is without fathers, kids suffer. Now, I know in this day and age that 50% of kids don't have a father in the home. So we're dealing with the reality of a lot of people, even under the sound of my voice right now. You're like, I wish my dad was around. Yes, because something inside of us cries out for a father. Something inside of us wants that. And let me just say this to you guys in here. If you've got children, don't diminish the role that you have in your family. If you're a a dad, you're not just a DNA donor. Come on, somebody. You are a father. Fathers have responsibilities, relational responsibilities with their children. And you don't have to be perfect. You might not have had the perfect father growing up. You might have not even known your father growing up. 
But you can follow Father God in his example, and you can be the one your children need you to be in this day and age. You don't need to be ashamed of being a father. You need to step up and be the one that God has called you to be. Uh And meanwhile, in the family of God, in the church, we need men to step up and recognize there's a need for fathers and uncles. (laughs) Because sometimes there's kids that don't have anything. They don't have the dad. But when they come into the church, they need us. One of the things I loved when I was uh, coaching my my kids' football and basketball teams, I loved coaching. Why? Because I could have an impact on on young men's lives in a way that I couldn't otherwise. Why not engage ourselves in helping provide that kind of picture for kids without a father? So Jesus is one that speaks about a father. So I want you to look at Jesus' picture of the father in his story. It says, and while he was still a long way off, the younger son, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. And he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on. Get a ring for his finger and the sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Come on, somebody. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, maybe you didn't have that image growing up, or maybe it was imperfect, we can look to the Father in this story. Jesus says that this Father is looking for his kids. So while we're out there doing our own thing, the Father is still looking our direction. He never gives up on his kids. You are never too far gone for the Father to be looking for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's looking for you. (laughs) And not only that, when the son returns home and is walking home and the father sees him, the father doesn't sit there and go, hmm, turn around and walk away. No, the father runs towards his son. He runs toward him, not to beat him over the bat, Not to accuse him of all kinds of things that he did while he was away. Not to shame him. No, the father runs to him. And he's looked for him. He's run to him. And then he restores his son. Gives him a robe and a ring, which means he's back in the family. He brings him back into the family. He restores that relationship. All is well. It's not that he has to go be one of the hired hands or the servants in his father's household. No, he's his son. You are welcome back in. And then the father restores his relationship with the family. This this is huge. See, the father doesn't just love him and it's a father-son relationship. No, the father says, we're going to throw a party and I'm going to invite the rest of the family to have reconnection with you. See, ultimately, Father God wants us not just to have restoration and forgiveness, 
but he wants our lives restored and our relationships put back together again. That he actually cares about your marriage. That he cares about your, your son and daughter relationship with mom and dad. He cares about sibling relationships. And even if in the family of God, I want you to know that Father God, when he, he brings you back into the family, he wants you restored in relationship with the church. To be connected again and to be wanted, to be a part, to, to not live in shame because of what's happened, but to be connected to what he's called us to do for Jesus. And this is the point of my whole message here today. Home is a relationship in proximity to the Father. Home is relationship and proximity to the Father. So where is home? Wherever the Father is. So while you're away and doing your own thing, you can feel remorseful, but you're not home until you repent and come home. It's relationship and proximity to the Father. It's when we get our relationship back with the Father. And listen, the same can be true of relationship with the church or your family. To be reconnected. It's fully your home when you're reconnected. That's my dream for you. My dream is not that you just come to church and you get theater religion. Where you get inspired and you can watch this like you do Netflix. Did my thing for the week. No, the ultimate thing is when the party connects you to other people. That's the father's heart. So the father is looking for you. He's running to you. He's ready to restore you and reopen a relationship to the family. Home isn't based on your family history, your record of keeping the law, or the amount of money you've given to the church. It's really being with the Father. Finally, the third character that Jesus tells a story about is the older brother. And listen, the older brother is really the point of the whole story. It says this, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So now you see this older brother in the story and the older brother truly was the target of Jesus' entire story. Remember verse one and two of Luke chapter 15? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law despised the fact that tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus. They were the older brother in Jesus' story. 
He was telling it, and the audience had the older brother. Look what Jesus says were the attributes of the older brother. He was self-righteous. All these years I was obedient, but you didn't reward me. See, the older brother compares his relationship with the father to his younger brother's relationship based on rewards. And this is what I call the sin of comparison. The sin of comparison is when we can't be happy when others succeed. You get a bonus and you're happy with it until you find out a coworker gets one a little bit bigger. You don't have compassion for others when they're hurting because it's all about you. See, the older brother felt that he was owed because he followed the rules. In fact, it really became why he followed the rules. He followed the rules to get the reward. And people have this in our lives. We can develop what's called transactional relationships. We're happy with others as long as they pay off. But as soon as they don't, we blow up. That can be in marriage. That can be in parenting. Parents can have difficulty with their child not performing up to their standards, and then they blow up on them. To the older brother, God is more like karma than Christianity. Karma is what goes around, comes around. You do good, you get good back. That sounds a little bit like the biblical pattern of reaping and sowing, but Jesus didn't call us to sacrifice and love so that we can get it back. No, Jesus called us to do the opposite, to pick up the cross, to turn the other cheek, to give our life away in order to find it. See, the older brother didn't see the younger brother as even family. He, he put him in a different category. This son of yours. You know what that shows? He had anger towards the father. When you have anger towards anyone... You can't have intimacy when anger is present. So with God, perhaps you're angry at God because somebody hurts you in the church. Or you're angry at God because somebody hurts you in the family. And your anger keeps you from getting close to God. The older brother lacked the father's heart. Despite being in the house, he was never really at home. He didn't have his father's eyes. I love when babies are born. We get the baby, and we see the baby, we hold the baby, and we're like, ooh, look, he's got your cheeks. Look at that, that dimple's just like you, you know. <sighs> She's got her father's eyes. See, the problem in this family was the older brother didn't have the father's eyes. He wasn't looking, running, restoring. No, instead, he had a different perspective of the entire situation. The younger brother was lost, but is now found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. The opposite was true of the brother, the older brother. 
He wasn't living in the grace of God. And the older brother is still lost. Today, we all need the father. If you're the younger brother, your moment is today to come home, to turn around and take the first step back. Humble yourself and the father will run toward you. But if you're the older brother, it's time to repent. Humble yourself and catch your father's eyes. All of us need to begin to start looking for the children of God. He is calling home. God has brought a famine to the whole world. Lost sons and daughters are coming home. Listen, church, I just feel this so strongly that the days are coming if we're open to being used of God, that God is working outside the building in people's hearts. They're going through all kinds of experiences. The famine in the land might be inflation. It might be changes in the economy, be loss of a job. The famine in the land could be, I can't find friends. I don't know who I can trust. The misinformation stuff that's going on everywhere. And meanwhile, they're away. They're out there somewhere. And while they're out there, the God who created them, the Father who knows them best, has planted in them a seed that says, there's a better way. There's a different home. There's a place that you can go. And so they overcome all of the regret and their shame, and they decide, I'm going to try this church thing out. I'm going to come back. And we don't know when they're going to walk in the doors at Elk River. We don't know when they're going to come in in Lakeville or Maple Grove or Spring Lake Park. We don't know when they're shaking at their steering wheel out in the parking lot. And while they sit there, who are they going to see in the family? Are they going to see an older brother that, that despises them? that doesn't love them, that doesn't have the Father's heart? Or are they going to see children of God who have the Father's eyes, who say, I love you, and I see you, and I notice you, and you are here. Welcome here. Welcome home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. I want you to stand with me today in each of our locations. Today, we're going to sing the song, Run to the Father. And I'd like you to consider Jesus' story as he told it to you today. Open your heart to receiving the love of the Father, because perfect love casts out all fear. And if you need prayer of any type, I encourage you to do what the lost son did. Turn and come home. We will pray and agree with you that the Father is looking for his kids. He's running to his children. He's restoring his sons and daughters. And he's reopening relationship with the family. I'd like to ask our prayer teams to be available along the front here, as well as in the back of the balcony today. I'd like you to just come now. And while we're singing in a moment, I'm going to pray. But I just want to encourage you, no matter who you see yourself as in the story, you have an opportunity. If you have a need, we'd love to pray with you. Believe that God the Father will touch you. And we believe that God will help you. And then, of course, in the back of the balcony, it's a long walk down here. We do have prayer teams that are also available up there. And I just want to encourage you to, to pray up there for all of our locations right now. Just lift up your hands to heaven. Can you do this? Father, we just come before you and we ask, oh God, that you would help us. Help us to see your vision of home. Lord, we're all coming from various vantage points and dysfunction and hurt and pain and 
Lord, we just ask, oh God, that you would help us, Lord, to not shut down because of what's been done to us. Lord, we want intimacy with you. We want closeness with you. We want proximity with you. We want to be with the Father. So Lord, we turn and we humble ourselves like the younger son and we come to you. And to those of us that have been in the church for a long time, I pray, oh God, that you would awaken the heart of the Father inside of us. That Lord, it would be so strong and so real that your attributes become our attributes. Your love becomes our love. Your smile becomes our smile as you use us to touch the world around us. We come to you today. We come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.